You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. Everyone said, oh yeah, at the age of 23, 24, you lose your reaction times and, and you're not as good. But the reality is the reason why that was said is that most students, once they've got to 23, 24, had to get a real job, full-time job, sorry. So they stopped playing professionally because there was no money in it. The RAF last year set up the eSports and Gaming Division. I think they've got 26,000 personnel. And the sole reason they chose eSports was to help combat loneliness on their different bases. Could I see in the short term them playing Rocket League or Fortnite as a gold medal event at Paris 24 or LA 28? Probably not, but could I see eSports activity happening? Yes. Could I see eSports activity that helps encourage sport participation 100%. Hi everybody, welcome to Sports Content Strategy with me, Mr Richard Clark. My guest this time is Chester King. He's the CEO of the British Esports Association. Now esports, as we know, is set up differently to traditional sports. In fact, it might be wrong to use the very comparison between esports and sports. We all know that. However, it's seen that publishers are the ones in control. There are no governing bodies per se. So what's the role of a national association like the one that Chester has set up? What good does it do? What governance does it have? And of course, how do you set one up in such a new environment as esports? That's what we're discussing on this podcast. Couple of plugs. I've got a book out called Last Wicket Stand. It's on cricket and midlife, county cricket really, following my club Essex around uh, the county circuit last year and writing about it really. You can get that on Amazon or on my website. It's called Last Wicket Stand. And if you need a consultant in digital, social media, content strategy, communication strategy, digital marketing as well, then please do let me know. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to talk esports, the organisation of esports, the strategy of esports, the governance of esports with this man. I'm Chester King. Uh, I wear a number of different hats in esports. Uh, first of all, I'm the chief exec of the British Esports Association, which is a not for profit national body for esports in the UK. I also am a member of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee's esports and gaming liaison group. And I'm a vice president of the Global Esports Federation. And part of that, I chair the Education, Culture and Wellness Commission. I sit on the technical commission with Tencent and I sit on the membership commission uh, for uh, new members of the Global Esports Federation. In addition, that's, those are all volunteer roles. In addition, uh, I'm a co-owner and investor in the London Royal Ravens, which is the UK's Call of Duty franchise for the Call of Duty League, CDL. And I'm a co-owner investor in a, a UK org called Resolve Esports. Thanks for speaking to me, Chester. Um, first of all, let's just get the definitions out of the way. So what are your quick definitions of esports as opposed to gaming? Just so we've got that all on the table, as it were. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the, the short uh, answer about esports is organized competitive video gaming, always human versus human or humans versus humans. It's never against a computer, always games of skill as opposed to games of chance. And you can never pay to enhance your play. So when you start playing, you're always on the same level playing field it's all about your skill and there's about 42 recognized different esports some include sports titles 
Um, traditionally, the most popular ones are kind of five versus five on a PC, but you've got the various platforms like console, mobile, and, and obviously PC being the largest. And each country has different uh, titles that are more popular or different platforms that are more popular. So it's from the outside world looking in, it looks very fragmented, but in inside esports, it's very well regulated and has incredible structures and grassroots, you know, path to pros in every title. But from the outside, it looks very complicated because everyone's trying to mash up esports into one kind of generic thing when, when you're actually talking about very different titles, albeit they're all playing video games. And with that different type of setup and the appearance of fragmentation, what's the role of a British esports association? Because yet again, we dive straight away into the comparison between traditional sports and esports. That the, the, you have an FA, you have a UEFA, you have a FIFA. Well, the, what's the British esports association, and in what ways is it, is it similar in those those type of traditional roles? In what ways is it different? Because because the background is very different, isn't it? In yeah, I th I think when when it was founded in 2016, uh, you know, for me it was a position thing to help parents and teachers understand what esports is and what you know what a great activity is. Under UK law, we're not a sport and we don't want to be a sport. We're very happy being a game like chess and bridge, and you know we are not a governing body. We're a national body. And if you were to do a sport analogy, we're kind of like England golf. We're like an amateur association promoting, you know, the activity, but we're not the RNA and we're not the PGA. We don't touch professional uh, teams and we do not set the rules. You know, where people make the mistake is they think that esports is 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 governed like a sport. So, as I say, of the forty-two different esports, and obviously that's you know new new esports are coming along, you know, weekly um the publisher owns the ip so you you shouldn't really think of esports as a sport there's a it's an entertainment so it's a bit like someone owning a movie franchise like the publisher owns you know let's say star wars is owned by disney they're in charge of it and they set the rules and the terms it's not like sport where anyone can just turn up and play a tournament there's strict guidelines so of the 42 esports the governing bodies are actually the publishers and they do a brilliant job and they set the rules and they decide what's the format. So, you know, I, I've done in the past the analogy that, you know, a video game is created, people start playing it and say, hey, this is pretty cool. So it's a bit like someone inventing a physical football, people start kicking it around and then someone has to make the decision, oh, it's five versus five or it's 11 versus 11 or it's two versus two. That is purely down to the publisher. It's their rights, they own the IP. So they run it. So what's interesting is the Global Esports Federation, they don't, you know, that's obviously our international federation. They don't describe themselves as a governing body. They describe themselves as a convening body because they're just trying to get everyone to work together. And the, the main kind of roles of us and of the Global Esports Federation is you know, to promote the benefits. And there's huge benefits, which I'm sure we'll talk about in playing esports uh, over you know, a number of different passive medias. And also it helps support physical activity, which again, we'll talk about. So I think what people are trying to do is put esports in the box of sports. When it can, you know, from our point of view, it's definitely not, but there is crossovers. Yeah, that, that's always the issue, isn't it? The, the publishers have control and that, that is the great differential because people are always trying to put sport traditional sport and esports in the same box i suppose where there has been 
an area that that in which both places play, shall we say, is the conversation about esports and the Olympics and traditional major traditional sporting events. And and you have have been involved in the work that the that Team GB had at Rio, didn't you? So so, no, so yes. So just tell us about that landscape, in, in what way you see it and the work that you've done, please. Yeah, so that actually wasn't to do with Team GB. That was us with the British government. So that was an oh. event called the E-Games. And that, we were a bit ahead of our time, unfortunately, as it was four years ago. And that was a medal-only event rather than prize money because traditionally a lot of the esports tournaments, it's all about prize money. So again, that slightly differentiates between sport where you know, it's not all about money, but you know, within esports, you know, at a pro level, it is all about money. Um, and that was a really interesting event in Rio where we basically got the eight best players of a game called Smash from around the world to play for medals. And uh, the British government were very supportive of that just to see what it, what it was like, the fact of playing for national pride as opposed to playing for money. And it was, you know, really well received, had some great viewership on Twitch. So uh, with regard to the IOC, you know, again, uh, the, the formation of this group that I'm on, which was two years ago, it was all about, you know, we're not trying to make esports a sport. We're not trying to talk about esports uh, being in the Olympics. What we're talking about is how can sports and esports share best practice? How can we enhance and support athletes or pro gamers? What, what lessons can we learn? How can we promote a balanced lifestyle? What values, as I said, you know, do we need to make sure that parents understand that there's a time and a place for sport? There's a time and place for esports, like there is a time and a place for chess, you know, things that can improve your brain strategy or hippocampus. And hopefully I'll talk about this dementia project that we're working on. So uh, the IOC have a really strong view, you know, President back in uh, November, I was in a meeting with him and 40 people. And he said, look, every sport needs to have a gaming strategy because they have seen, you know, in particular uh, sports video game, you know, FIFA, it's helped in America. A lot of people understand the offside rule. It's helped in America promote football, soccer as a sport because they know the kids are playing it and it's, you know, it's a good video game. It's not a top it's not a top esports, which you know, because of it hasn't got the best spectator view, and it you know, it, it's not a team, even though you can play two as two. It's not a big team esport, um, but it it is a great video game. And what's interesting, if you get into granular definitions, you know, the IOC wouldn't really you know, they want to call sports video games that are an extension of reality, real games. We want to call them virtual games. So, for example, FIFA, in their mind, you know, probably wouldn't be called an esport. It's a virtual sport, and it's a bit like Swift. Um, you know, a lot of people have the you know different terminology of what Swift is. So, Swift is for those that don't know, it's you know, you're cycling indoors and you're racing other people who are cycling, but you're looking at a video screen. In from a British esports point of view, it's not an esport because you're not playing a video game. You're cycling indoors. If you speak to Julie Harrington at British uh, Cycling, who I spoke to a couple of months ago, she thinks it's virtual cycling. I think it's virtual cycling. But the UCI, which is the International Federation of uh, Cycling, have called it uh, eSports cycling because obviously they're running on the hype of eSports and it's very good. But if it came to a national selection of a team, it wouldn't be British eSports that would be choosing the swift uh, competitive for team for the UK it would be British cycling because it's cycling. So I think there's a, there are crossovers. 
with regard to Olympics, you know, could I see indoor cycling happening at Olympics? 100%. Could I see in the short term them playing Rocket League or Fortnite as a gold medal event at Paris 24 or LA 28? Probably not. But could I see esports activity happening? Yes. Could I see esports activity that helps encourage sport participation? 100%. So I think there's a journey we're on. I think, again, there's so so many options you can go down um and it's interesting that you know paris 24 and la 28 are in these meetings that we're having just to understand you know about esports and you know esports could be a great marketing channel to promote to the youth about the olympics you know more you know a lot of as you know on the numbers millions of people playing video games um it could be a great avenue to promote the olympics when they're on yeah, such an interesting area that <laughs> we could do the whole podcast on that, but I do want to talk about the social aspects of gaming because uh, yeah, I think you're a little bit younger than me, Chester. But when I was young, there was a TV show that was shown in the summer holidays where we are at the moment called Why Don't You? And it was, it was yeah. Why Don't You Go and Switch Off a Television Set and Go and Do Something Less Boring and Said? Because parents were worried about their kids watching television too much. It was too sedentary. It was bad for their health. Now, it strikes me that the same conversation is going on at the moment with regard to um, esports, that um, uh, the amount of gaming that is going on, uh, the, not the fact that it exists, but perhaps it's the length of gaming, the length of, of sessions, shall we say. It's those same conversations going on, but you're very strong about the social aspect and the community aspect uh, uh, the positive aspect that the esports can give to the younger generation. Just outline your your your, your argument here. Yeah, and I think you know the the key thing is the difference between passive media yeah. and social media and what esports is. You know, again, if you you I don't know if you've got friends or you in particular play, but you know you're typically, as I said, you know you're playing five versus five, so it's you and four of your friends playing against another five people. This isn't about you know, playing against a computer and watching a, a screen like TV. This is, you know, developing skills around strategy, leadership, and in particular communication that you're playing. It's like five-side football, but online. And, you know, what you've got to realize is there are a lot of people who physically and emotionally can't play sport. And that by playing esports, they are part of a community. And we've done some incredible projects in schools, alternative revision schools and libraries, where you've got children who are disabled or children who have been injured who are playing an activity where they're being part of something, they're being part of the community. And it's been so incredibly powerful, the work that we've done and the rewarding for these children who are feeling they're actually part of normality, as it were, and, and doing stuff. The other, I'll give you a number of different examples. So the RAF last year set up the esports and gaming division uh, within the RAF. I think they've got 26,000 personnel. And the sole reason they chose esports was to help combat loneliness on their different uh, bases. You know, you've got hundreds of people in their pods, you know, sleeping. The communal areas have been taken away. You know, like the old days, you know, it was a bit more social. And they chose esports as one as a beneficial activity because you're stimulating a brain and you're learning, um, you know, different skills, transferable skills. But also the fact that when you're playing it in these games, it, albeit you might not be next to your physical teammates, you are actually communicating and uh, you know, um, being very lucid when, when you play. And as I say, 
the perception of it's you know fat kids eating pizza in the basement is so wrong on on just so many levels right you could say oh you know watching tv used to be fat kids in a basement watching tv right there there is such a difference and one of the things i want to talk about is we got approached by imperial health uh beginning of uh, lockdown and they said they've been doing a study about uh, dementia globally and some interesting facts happened when they uh sorry came out one was in developing countries uh so india south america when children leave school at the age of 12 because you know they they have to work or they are you know they're forced to work or there's not the right education in place they're twice as likely to get dementia when they're older right so anyone leaving education at 12 is twice as likely to get dementia so that's an incredible statistic. So we said, well, why is that? And they said, you know, up to the age, uh, so after the age of 16, all of us lose 1% of our memory function, which is in our hippocampus, which is the front of our, of our brain. And what they were saying is in the old days, games like chess and bridge and card games was played by a lot of youth before television. This is going back, you know, 50 years, 100 years. So you were learning strategy and you're learning skill, right? And you're improving your memory function by playing certain games. What happened is, you know, with TV and social media in particular coming out, a lot of uh, your play has become more passive as opposed to, you know, learning new skills. And what Imperial Health came to us about saying is, esports is very good at developing uh, children under 16's hippocampus, right? And what their concern actually wasn't about boys it was about girls it was the fact that at the moment more girls play video games in the uk and more boys play esports and their concern was if you play certain video games that are games of chance then like watching tv their concern is it's not developing their memory function so there we're we were going to start which is going to be delayed to the end of the year which is now going to be part of the global esports federation uh, wellness uh, focus group is about how can we prove in moderation to, to particular to parents saying, look, don't worry if your child at night, you know, is playing 90 minutes of gaming because actually it's helping with their memory function. And if, if one can improve your memory function, you can then prevent uh, or reduce the impact of dementia as you're older. So that's really interesting. I mean, the, the, the idea of linking esports with mental capacity is is a, is an interesting link if you can make it because that's kind of the 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 anti pr that exists around or the negative pr that exists around uh, uh esports and 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 gaming that that it it is unhealthy and you're trying to flip that narrative towards it it is healthy no it is health yeah so yeah, yeah. So, yeah so you how said are it. you chipping away at that how are you chipping away at that well, yeah. So you, you said esports and gaming. I don't work in gaming. I only work in esports. So yeah, I think okay. what yeah, we're the British Esports Association. You know, so this is where I think you know, with in time by you know educating people the difference between esports as opposed to gaming, and both have its place. You know, it's really important to have gaming time where you can just relax. Uh, and you know, th there's a brilliant term. There's a book about the hundred year lives about that people are living longer and that leisure time is more important. You know, but you want to turn you know recreation into recreation and you know i thought it was a really good phrase and i think once people understand that actually you're having fun being social with people but actually you're improving your memory function which could help you know reduce the impact of dementia what an amazing you know activity that could be and 
you know, when I meet parents who get upset saying, oh, you know, I find it ridiculous that my child is playing the same game every night, it's monotonous. And I just stop them and I go, first of all, you know, if I said to you, you know, if you played football every day for an hour, is that monotonous? And they said, well, no. And they said, well, you know, you, you're playing different humans every night. So it can't be, you're not repeating the same thing. You're trying to out-strategize different people. And you know, there's you know, a game called League of Legends, you know, five versus five, you know, over a hundred million people play. It's incredibly you know, tactical. You know, you've got to understand, you, know, you all have different skills, you work as a team. And, um, you know, again, I think there's a perception that, you know, all, all esports are just very mundane, simple games. There's a huge amount of skill required. There's, um, last year, we got a British player uh, called Wolfies, who was 15 at the time. He entered a tournament, uh, the Fortnite World Cup. It was in uh, New York. He came second in the duos, so the doubles, basically. He won $1.1 million. I met him afterwards. He's an incredibly bright A Scholar student really physically fit really you know on it and if if you took him and didn't know what he did for a living but so if i said to you he's a professional athlete he's won more money in prize money than any other 16 year old in the uk you would not say oh he's an esports player right you just look at the guy and think he's you know either a, a pro driver or something like that and i think there's a you know there is a digital disconnect where you've got people you know i'm 49 you know, thankfully, you know, I've got a 20 year old son and I've lived and breathed esports, you know, in its main launch over the last 10 years. So I've seen I've seen the journey and I've seen the benefits uh, from my son playing it. And during lockdown, you know, the gamers were thriving. They were having a great time. It was the sports people that were missing out on socialization and the sports people that were missing out on competitiveness. So during lockdown, we helped a number of uh, national uh, bodies in the UK yeah, we did some basketball tournaments online at NBA 2K. We did some FIFA tournaments. You know, the army then picked up and gone, you know, we really need to start helping people, especially our sports people, becoming more social and missing that out. I'm not saying that this is esports is a replacement at all for sport because physical sport is good. But there are a lot of people that can't physically do sport or emotionally do sport or injured. But for me, the biggest uh, fight that esports has against is passive and social media. And you know, my 17 year old daughter, she didn't really enjoy lockdown that well. She was missing out on our friends socializing. And then she started getting into gaming and she started joining uh, into the interaction. But you know, there's important places for reading books, there's important places for everything. And as I say, with certain parents, you know, the classic conversation I have with them, because they're not gamers and they don't understand the nuances and the different skills you can get, I said, can I just stop, you know, when they complain about their son playing, you know, 90 minutes a night uh, esports, I go, great. Um, it's not great. So I say, so if your son was playing 90 minutes a night chess, so if they're playing online chess, would you be having the same, uh, you know, thoughts and views? Because everyone knows chess is a fantastic game. And, um, you know, it's, it's been around for hundreds of years. And obviously, most parents go, well, no. <laughs> so, so why do you have a problem with them you know, playing Fortnite? Or why do you have a problem with them playing that? And then they'll start talking about violence. And I'll go, right, okay. So have you watched, you know, Fortnite's a 12-rated game. It's like watching Tom and Jerry or The Simpsons. It's like cartoon violence. And they go, oh, we don't like the violence. And I go, but again, if you go back in time, we all played cops and robbers. We all played toy soldiers. We all played, you know, cowboys and Indians. You know? So it's not like we're suddenly inventing stuff. And uh, the other one that I do find funny is 
when brand, you know, brands get upset about video games. And I go, right, so it's okay to watch a James Bond film or it's okay to watch a Kingsman film, which is 15 rated where, you know, 100 people get killed in a church. It's 15 rated. But watching a game that has some uh, terrorist violence in is 18 rated. And you've got morally a problem with that as opposed to someone, you know, in, you know if you look what happens you know, after nine o'clock on the watershed, everyone has a different view. So I, I think attitudes will change. I think parents you know, just don't understand enough at the moment. And, you know, if most parents know the different genres of music. So, you know, do you know hip hop, you know, classical jazz doesn't mean you listen to them, but you know the different genres of music. I would say most parents or most adults don't understand the different genres of esports and gaming. So do they know what an FPS is? Do they know what a battle royale is? Do they know what a MOBA is? Probably not. And because of that, because of this um, lack of information, they're making up their own assumptions on it. Um, and I think that will change. Yeah, my son's generation will game with his children. You know, he was born in 2000. They will play with them. So. I think we're in this, I'm sure it'd be really interesting if there's any uh, recordings of when TV came out and our generation, you know, I was born in the seventies, we're watching a lot of TV because it wasn't around and everyone was complaining about that. But I think once you understand and get into the granular detail that actually as an activity, it, you know, there's a career pathway, there's an education pathway, you know, you can study sports at university now and, and BTEC level, you know, the government and all these people who, and scientists, you know, wouldn't be so focused on esports and that as an activity if there wasn't some stuff there is if there wasn't some traction there about it so just tell us about that education pathway um what you're doing in schools and um how you are i suppose opening up those pathways to for people to get a career in in esports because you know it the last stat I saw bigger than the movie industry and the mu the music industry combined. That that's the last stat I saw. Yeah. So, yeah. So on stats, again, you have to be cautious with, and I'm always cautious about stats. So the video game industry is about 140, 150 billion dollars. So it is bigger than the music industry and film industry put together. At the moment, esports, the competitive element is 1% or less than 1%. So let's say it's about a billion or a billion and a half, I mean, depending on the year, depending on which stats you're looking at. But what, what, again, what, what esports is, is the tournament elements. And that can be online or obviously in live tournaments when there's not, not COVID. So all we're focusing on is the competition side uh, of, of video games. So, you know, there is a huge industry there and what we have been developing with Pearson in the UK and internationally is um, they own BTEC which is a great uh, qualification alternative to A-levels. Uh, we've written uh, three different um, BTECs so you can study that from the age of 16 to 18. Traditionally a lot of FE colleges, there's 260 in the UK, study BTEC but a lot of schools are taking that on so that's going to be live next month. Uh, I think we've, we've got over about 80 uh, schools and ethnic colleges starting that program for those that are interested in it um, and again this isn't purely about you do esports uh, and you're going to do it forever there's a lot of transferable skills around production around marketing uh, around design this isn't designed to make you a better player this is all about the skills around esports as an industry ranging from production um, putting on events and then 
as an extension in the UK, you've got about five universities currently where you can study uh, full-time esports degrees. You can get Bachelor of Science, Bachelor of Arts, and there's a Master's as well. Uh, Confetti up in Nottingham, uh, Trent University, have probably got the best production facilities in Europe by far. They're just launching their esports uh, production course. It's incredible. Um, and they, they've come from a music, TV, and film background. And obviously, esports is just an extension when you're putting on esports events. So they're just starting. And then there's a new university going to be launched next month uh, in London, uh, doing foundation course, doing esports courses, and then doing masters in esports. So there's some really exciting opportunities. And again, this is m more around you're learning digital marketing with esports or you're learning you know international business with esports so again it doesn't mean you do a degree and if you don't do esports you can't get a job it's kind of this is kind of a hook to help kind of um, engage with more youth to, to participate and then what we're doing globally is there's universities in India South uh, South Africa and uh, UAE who are very interested in it. and the UK yeah, we've got a fantastic track record on education. So um, we, I'd say us and Singapore uh, lead the world on esports education at the moment. And presumably you've got some diversity programs in there because I think you, I've heard you talk about before some of the, the diversity issues within um, esports in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity as well. So what are the problems you're trying to solve there? Yeah, I mean, it's really, yeah, I've got, you know, son and two daughters. And unfortunately, the most popular esports have got guns, cars, and bulls in as the main elements of the game. And, you know, that, that's not ideal probably for, you know, a, a big section of our community. You know, wh why, why do more boys play esports and more girls play video games? You know, is, that is a study that we've been trying to get someone to take <laughs> to take on because it's a big study you know is there a socialization in the uk that you know we try and get our boys into football teams straight away and is you know do we try and make our boys more competitive you know i, I don't know but i know that there was some studies done uh, back in the early noughties um that you know up to the age of six and seven you know girls are very interested in jigsaw puzzles and yeah maybe this is probably before social media kind of picked off but what happens is as as uh, girls get older, they let they get less engaged um, in that. It's interesting. With my th I've got a three-year-old daughter, and how I'm trying to get her to be, you know, make sure she's using, using both her hands. And there's some really great games, you know, for like two minutes at a time, um, just on uh, dexterity and spatial awareness. So th the problem at the moment is, as I said, more more boys do play esports so when we do team trials and um, we run national tournaments in the uk for three titles at the moment which is overwatch which is a six versus six 12 rated game league of legends five versus five and rocket league which is an age three rated game which is probably our poster child game it's uh five minute matches where you play football but in rocket powered cars and it's a giant football it's a brilliant game and it's actually what uh tokyo 2020 um, they were going to choose that as one of their two esports titles as, as a demonstration esports, which Intel were running a an international tournament. Um, and it's just a fun esport because everyone understands you're trying to score a goal, but you're doing it in stuff that isn't you know, real. And that's a, a huge benefit, again, about esports, that you're not restricted 
by reality, as it were. Um, so there is a problem that I think there are certain titles that aren't, and I hate the term female friendly, but aren't as popular. Um, but that's changing. You know, we're a member of Yuki, which is our trade association, which has been going for 30 years. And they've been doing a great campaign. And so is Women in Games doing a great campaign about getting more diversity in the production of esports, uh, video games, which obviously will then lead on to esports. So we set up at the beginning of this year a women in esports committee. Uh, I think there's 12 or 13 ladies on that committee, all working in esports, all very passionate about it. Um, and, you know, and it's very disappointing, I'd say, that when we go to schools and we do these trials, you know, the boys have got more experience. So girls want to be part of an esports team. But because the boys are more experienced, then the girls go off. Well, I don't want to I don't want to play because I, you know, I'm never going to beat the boys. So there is a movement happening in within the Global Esports Federation and the IOC have been looking at it. And a number of different tournament organizers have been looking at it about doing women only tournaments. So if you go back 10 years, the whole thing about esports is incredibly inclusive. There's no barrier you know, to your shape, size, weight, you know, everything. You know, as long as you've got you know, physical uh, abilities to play sports and that doesn't, and you know, there's a great charity, um, I've just had a mental block, but there's a great charity that helps people who you know, are missing limbs you know, participate uh, in esports. So it's a, such an inclusive uh, activity that it's really important that you know, there's a choice of games uh, for people to play. So, uh, as I say, Yuki uh, and everyone are doing a great job. We're all trying to get more women into the industry. I think by having more education exams and a, an education pathway and a career pathway, uh, that's going to help the cause. But it's going to take time. You know, this isn't a quick fix. Um, but I think these women-only tournaments is a great initiative. But beforehand, people going, oh, no, don't segregate. And what we're trying to do or what these organizers are trying to do is saying, no, no, we're not trying to segregate. What we're trying to do is encourage more women to play in these games and have their tournaments and hopefully get more experienced. And then there's inter in inter interaction between everyone. So, you know, we're at an exciting time. I think the industry is totally aware of, of the concerns that they've got. You know, the, the violence one traditionally was an issue, but I think most people realize that you know, all these titles are age rated. So again, you know, if I have a parent complain to me that their nine-year-old, you know, is playing Fortnite, I say, well, first of all, your nine-year-old shouldn't be playing Fortnite because it's 12 rated, right? You know, you wouldn't take your nine-year-old to watch a film. You know, you couldn't physically in the old days. So I think there's, a, there's always been an argument about the negatives, but what's happening is there's more arguments now about the positives of esports especially uh, COVID has seen a huge understanding and more mainstream acceptance about it as an activity. What about the veteran end as well? Because I mean, I play a lot of Fortnite. Okay? I play a lot of Fortnite and I can't compete because all of the, all the kids, especially in building, I have a, a nightmare building, um, but I'm tactically astute enough to always to get to the end. But if someone can build better than me, I'm done for. Um, are you is there any call for veterans tournaments because we always got told from a gaming perspective not an esports perspective a gaming perspective the likes of fifa was being bought by 30 somethings 40 somethings and played by 40 something so are you moving into the stage of, of veterans tournaments because i know you've talked quite rightly about uh esports being incredibly inclusive but in terms of competing 
there are competing at the top level there are age barriers um so has that cropped up yeah the, so on our on our board on our advisory board is kind of the uk's probably well actually probably i would say at, outside the UK, probably the most famous esports manager stroke coach, a guy called Odie, who is an Arsenal fan. Um, and he's taught over 700 pros over the years. And he's he's a really interesting character. He, he tried to be a professional, Amer he's English, tried to be a professional American football player, got injured, found out about esports, got into it, created a team called Dignitas that was bought by the Philadelphia 76ers. He now works for Rec Global who are you know one of the top uh league of legends team called rogue and they're they're also the main investor into the royal ravens and if you asked him you know when you spoke to him which i did when i first met him four or five years ago you know he, and he and we're talking about you know esports ability you know everyone said oh yeah at the age of 23 24 you know you lose your your reaction times and and it doesn't you know and, and you're not as good but the reality is the reason why that was said is that most students once they've got to 23 24 had to get a real job and a full-time job sorry and uh so they stopped playing professionally because there was no money in it so the perception or the stats at the time were there's no pros over 25 right but what Odie said actually that's complete rubbish because he's he's my age and he's i think probably top 100 in uh either valorant or esport uh, sorry or PUBG, and his skill, a bit like you're saying, is you've got a very good strategic head and you can carry on. So with regards to vets, the story, there are some, there's a team called the Silver Surfers. There's a guy from Holland, I think he's 82. Um, and he won a CSGO tournament with his uh, older uh, teammates. Uh, but but it's very subjective, you know, so you're, you're playing, I, I presume if you're playing Fortnite, you're playing on your own, but you could, you know, if you were clever, you might find a partner who's incredibly good at building and you could do very well on the duos, although you might join a quads team and do very well because you could be the strategy leader and the other guys are doing different skills. So, you know, don't get fixed on one esport. I think there's skills and that's what's so incredible about, you know, games like Call of Duty. You know, we've got a player in the UK called Wuskin who is the best sniper player probably in the world, right? So he sits at the back and he can take out anyone out using his sniper rifle, right? But he's he's got other players in the team that are better at the short-term play. So I think you all have your own skill, a bit like you do in sports. Take a rugby team or a football team, you've got different positions that people take up. So at the moment, there isn't a Vets League there i think you know more social gaming will happen i think you'll get a infrastructure set up like sunday league football uh you know i i play a lot of tennis and you know i'm uh a, technically a vet um and i really enjoy it and i but during the and that's in the winter i play in the vets league and during the summer i play in an open league so i think it will evolve to that but then you've got to start proving your age which is something which is a big issue actually and and online safeguarding is something that's paramount to us and we're talking to the NSPCC and UNICEF um, about making sure that people play age-appropriate games but also that you know there's a bit of a grouping um, so you know a lot of parents are concerned you know that they're 12 year old playing Fortnite you know depending what they're hearing and stuff um, what channel so I think that will be a, the challenge will be proving that you are over 50 um, if you're playing the vets league but yeah I'm sure it will come as I said I think my son's generation, you know, Gen Z, 
they they will just there'll be a wave of people that will be gaming all the way through and you know it's great that you're playing fortnite so yeah just as an aside i read a as a letter came into the telegraph as which is a about as establishment as you can possibly get from a grandfather so we're playing fortnite in the summer holidays with my my grandson and his friends and he said the one thing that struck me is that they make sure i i'm the i'm the weakest player but they make sure i'm never left behind because obviously you can regenerate each other blah 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 and all and, and they try and win but they make sure he's not left behind he's the weakest player. i thought that was a lovely story that came out of gaming that given that especially in the lockdown um we've had um our relationship with our older relatives is something I think we need to question. That's a more economic and political issue. But I thought that was a really interesting yeah. way of connecting. Well, we used to watch TV with our family, you know, because there's only three or four channels. And what's going to happen is, you, you know, as I said, my, the Gen Z lot are going to play with their kids. Sorry, their, their older parents or grandparents as it goes. It's just going to happen. You know, and and you've got people who are kind of trying to, resent it because I don't think they understand it and the biggest pushback to be fair we had people in sports thinking you know this is taking away from sport you know this most people game at night when you can't <clears throat> play sports outside because it's dark or because of safety reasons right this isn't a replacement of sport this is a replacement of passive you know tv you know my, my son doesn't watch tv you know he'll watch netflix or he'll game so uh, again I think there's there was a misconception or a mis positioning of gaming at the beginning which has then led on to you know crossing over into esports yeah and i think i mean this is more of a gaming question but i think if you look at if you look at something like fortnite and it's introduced an area that does this fortnite especially is is a, re a replacement certainly in lockdown and when it's raining in the summer holidays it's a replacement for the park right <laughs> that's where you used to go as a kid my age you used to go and see your mates well now you see them online in a gate in a gaming environment um, I, I was going to ask you from a, from an esports perspective, what's been the effect of lockdown? Because initially, you know, we lost all our physical sport, and esports seems to seem to come a little bit more central. Um, obviously, in the gaming world, participation has gone up as well. But just, just but, but 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 going back to esports, what's been the effect of lockdown? Yeah, so physical events, you know, were cancelled, but everything moved online. There was a few technical issues about, you know, ping rates and lag rates. And the main reason that live events are done live is that everyone's in the same room. So you don't have this issue that if you're not near a server for a particular title, there isn't a latency issue. So um, if you take the Call of Duty League and the Overwatch World League, you know, that the Call of Duty League is based in America um, and their finals actually is coming up this weekend. So it, over the last uh three months instead of having live events like on a road show going to paris and london and new york and la they did it all online and the end of season playoffs and uh it's happening now um which is great um so th they adapted pretty easily um yeah most live events probably don't make much money so actually more people is, is pretty better for an industry that hasn't quite developed its live um delivery yet um, there were challenges like the Overwatch World League. They had to split the teams from uh, America um, and Asia because obviously, uh, you know, difference in time time zones, and again, this issue about being near a server. But yeah, esports has flourished. I mean, lockdown has, as I said, if you're a gamer, you've had a great time. There's been loads of tournaments popping up to keep people um, entertained. It's been interesting. Yeah, there's been a lot of charity events. And then the, the crossover of sports, um, there's a Formula One driver called Lando Norris, 
and you know he's a big gamer and obviously he's a sim driver which you know there is a there's a huge kind of uh, correlation between practicing on in your rig uh, virtual racing to obviously formula one driving but he actually is a big gamer as well so he'll play call of duty or play fortnite and his following on twitch was huge and it was really interesting to see someone who's you know a sports person getting a huge following uh, from a gaming audience and then obviously you've got your streamers who traditionally aren't the best at gaming but have got you know have become you know big followers and those movements um there's a guy called ninja and then you've got dr disrespect so yeah it, there's been a huge spotlight on esports during uh, covid and as i said at the beginning what's been uh, rewarding for us is helping sport and governing bodies understand esports more and let sports people understand and we do some work with sport england phil smith there is a great guy and his thing his view about esports is you know if esports can help or be a segue or a gateway to people do more virtual sorry more physical sport and that's great and we in 2017 did a uh, pilot where we it was half term week um at the west ham foundation grounds and we did football skills uh, archery and Rocket League, and we did groups, and we rotated them around to see, well, look, you know, what transferable skills or what skills can be learned from each activity. If you're playing Rocket League, which is three versus three, and you're playing with your teammates, then you go out on a football pitch, are you gonna be communicating better? Do you understand the angles of the ball because you've been playing it online? You know, art, physical archery is you know, pretty exciting to do. You know, not many children get an opportunity to do that, so that was good promoting sports and also promoting esports so during covid we, we were helping out the other way around we were helping sports you know stay in touch with their i'll say customers is the wrong word but you know with their members and you know doing some fun tournaments so yeah it, it lockdown's been very uh positive for us i think it's changed the shift for a lot of people um and it's really fast-tracked what we're doing in education we just got level two um, support from the British government from DFE um, and you know these courses are going very well internationally as well. Have you seen a greater interest in investment because there's been a few for want of a better phrase gold rushes into esports um, you might you might dislike the term I'm not sure but um, now we seem to have had serious investment over the course of the last five years has that ramped up on the back of um, lockdown and the increased visibility with regard to esports, certainly at the start. Yeah, I mean, the UK, unfortunately, is the black hole of esports investment and uh, brand support. There's, there's this kind of weird mentality of brands that don't sponsor esports in the UK. And, and it's something that I find odd, you know, wearing my marketing hat. You know, you've got a huge audience of an affluent audience um, that brands aren't tapping into the UK. I think there's a huge allegiance to sport. Again, there's probably people that don't understand it, to be fair, and a bit kind of freaked out by the scale of it and the fragmentation of it. Um, with regard to investment, obviously, the game holder, you know, Tencent's the biggest gaming company in the world. You know, for, if you bought their shares on March the 14th, just as lockdown was hitting, and you looked at them now, they've gone up by 40%. So their business has gone up something like 120 billion, you know, 170 billion, something crazy like that. Um, all the publishers have been made a lot of money, so they don't need investment. Uh, having said that, um, Epic just got uh, some investment to keep going. Um, so not keep going to, to further develop. I think they're valued now at 17 billion. 
with regard to investment in esports teams yeah it's it's really interesting so it's a bit yeah there's only certain games where you're guaranteed certain revenues and you know frank there's a difference between franchised esports teams or esports orgs and non-franchised so at the moment you can buy a franchise a team franchise a bit like an nfl team franchise the call of duty overwatch and league of legends if you can get them right and this the publishers quite rightly uh are very protective over their ip and they only want uh people that they trust and know and get esports to be able to purchase their team franchises so you know my personal journey involved with the london royal ravens was an amazing journey activision are a great publisher and we've got some great partners in uh, rec global in america and as i said they've got one of the biggest league of legends team called rogue yeah and getting investment in that in america is a very different attitude to getting it in in europe and i think people over here you know haven't quite got it yet i think they want to see a bit more you know track record only in our first season um but there has been some good investment i don't know if you saw that David Beckham uh, got approached to be a part of an esports team. So, you know, there's a, there's a transfer over. In America, there's a lot more investment in esports teams and everything. I'd say it's, very, it's still very early days in the UK. I think it will it'll happen once there's more tournaments. Um, but if you go to, for example, uh, in Holland or Denmark, you know, you've got brands like Audi sponsoring Astralis, which is a big esports team. In the UK, we've got BT sponsoring Excel, so Excel are a League of Legends team. Um, in the UK, there's kind of four main teams, so Excel's League of Legends, London Spitfire is Overwatch, Royal Ravens is Call of Duty, and then Fnatic, which is a multiple uh, game uh, esports org. Um, yeah, they do pretty well, but they've been going for about I think 16 years now, or 20 years, whereas the other teams are kind of two to four years old. So. I think it will it will come, but I think, it, as I say, you know, we've got to help the cause, or the industry has got to help uh, brands understand. You know, this isn't about supporting a title. This is about getting to a hard to reach audience that is uh, more affluent than the average person and is more you know, strategic in their thinking, as opposed to placing an advert on Channel Four. You know, you're hitting each person playing a different type. So, for example kids that like football like playing fifa right there's kids that probably don't like football you know they're not playing fifa but they're playing other titles so once you get down to the demographic you can be very targeted but you know for example barclays have been quite clever most kids that play online you have to buy in-game purchases you know as you go along or you know if you want to have a skin you know, for example in Fortnite, you can pay a few dollars and have a nfl jersey or you know change it to an england top that doesn't enhance your play but it's a fun thing to have personalization um and but you need a bank account to do that so barclays have got involved with league of legends um now so i think it's coming it hasn't been a huge change the biggest change has been the valuation of the publishers uh because they've done incredibly well during lockdown what sort of figures are we talking to invest in and run an esports team? Obviously, that depends. So, you know, uh, and I'm not asking for the accounts of the one that you run, but uh, for for a major title uh, to to get a foothold, how much does it cost to get in, and how much does it run on a on an annual basis? Ballpark figures. So, <clears throat> without yeah, you know, I've got to be careful what I'm saying on NDA, but of of the 
of the titles that so of Overwatch, Call of Duty, and League of Legends, you know, and I'm going to do ballpark just because of NDAs, but roughly when they when those franchises came out for those three titles, you're talking somewhere between ten to twenty five million to buy one team franchise. Pounds, pounds. Yeah, dollars. Sorry, dollars. dollars. dollars okay. So t- yeah. ten to twenty-five million dollars. Yeah, depending on the title and when you bought those. But those valuations now, those teams are kind of three to five x. So, you know, if you bought if you bought early, not that you'd want to sell because they're like the golden tickets. You know, the the value of those teams have gone up. So that's one thing about owning a team and then running team. Depending on the title, you're paying salaries. Of anywhere between fifty to two hundred thousand pounds, uh, sorry, dollars per player. So if you've got a team of five, obviously you're multiplying that. You might have a squad of seven. Then coaches can earn anywhere between seventy-five to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. So you've got to have those and analysts. So at the top end, so I'm talking at the top. You know, you're talking millions and millions of dollars to run these teams at the level that you need. So you've got to have good sponsorship and support and revenue coming down from the publishers and that's why franchised uh, titles are a better investment because the publishers are supporting the cause at a lower level you know grassroots level if you take a, um, a league of legends team playing in uk el or uklc you're probably talking about playing paying your players in the region of you know 500 to a thousand a month um Rocket League players playing in the European tournaments around again one and a half thousand to five thousand a month per player, but their teams are three, and then coaches. So it does vary. It depends on what level. There's so many different um, uh, divisions. Um, but let's just do the extreme. There's one tournament uh, called the Dota Two International. So Dota Two is League of Legends competitor. It's five versus five as a MOBA, um, and the winning team. Um, I think last year won $12 million. So five players won you know, a couple of million each. So in the Call of Duty League final, which is coming up this weekend, the winning team of five players are going to win $2 million each. Sorry, $2 million in total. $2 million in total. So it, it, again, there's no uh, consistency on information and stats, but you know, it's not chunk change. And, it, and everyone talks about the future of esports and we go we're at the you know we are even though it's been around for over a decade we are kind of at still early do- doors and i think people's misconception is they think uh all esports team are all set up and as efficient as a premier league team that's been around for hundreds of years you know some teams are but you know a lot of teams are still trying to get their you know safeguarding policy right getting their sponsors right sponsors are trying to work out do they want to be associated with one title or multi-title do they want to support a league? Um, but the reality is this is an activity um, that lots and lots of people are doing. And, you know, from mar- using it as a marketing channel, I would, I would encourage every brand to look at it because this generation is going to be carrying on gaming and playing esports. So, you know, why would you not uh, review esports or Twitch or, you know, YouTube, you know, as a great platform to market in addition to you know terrestrial TV or you know radio or you know online advertising, is one of the issues holding back the sponsorship and the growth, maybe in the UK, maybe globally, is 
the issue of, of toxicity online now whether this is a real issue you tell me but but how, how big is that a problem and what are you doing as a, as a body to try and try and combat that yeah i mean toxicity is an interesting and again it really does depend on the esport you know there are certain titles that unfortunately have allowed toxicity to grow with the title and i think views are changing everyone's aware of you know you just have a code of conduct so what we as British esports have been doing in schools is we've got a code of conduct, which I'm sure every sport has. So when we're playing our online tournament, you know, teachers are present in the classroom. We do it like an after school club, like an athletics club. We have a, you know, esports tournament. And um, if someone while they're playing online in the chat, you know, writes something abusive or wrong, yeah, there's like a yellow card, red card system. And so we're trying to stamp out and establish a good code of practice. And it doesn't, you know, I'd say a bit like football, you know, they haven't stamped that out either. You know, you can see the players swearing and shouting at the referee or abusing uh, people on the pitch. So I would say, you know, it's, it's the same issue in sport as in certain esports. What I would say is it's only a few that has a toxicity issue and to be honest, when you're playing yourself, you can just turn off the chat. You don't, it's not like you have to take the toxicity, if that makes sense. So I would say toxicity is a tiny issue. It is an issue. It's not in every game, but there's ways to combat that. Uh, unlike in physical sport where you can't really uh, turn off your ears and your eyes if someone's shouting, you're giving you verbal abuse when you're playing sport. But it's something that we're fully aware as an industry. It's something that we're, we've got some, strategies to tackle it's something that i think again if you if we can create an environment that's done in a competitive way but not in a uh, aggressive way then you know that's what we're trying to achieve so our interestingly our code of conduct and parents guide that's on our uh, website you know has been used and by the ioc and it has been used by different countries of just best practice you know and, that, and that's what we're just trying to educate them and being a parent of children who are very competitive you know it's interesting how i've just sat them down and said look you know you wouldn't do this you know in normal life so you know don't do it online and what's on your to-do list obviously we've we've had the specific issue around lockdown which is starting to ease now or you know, hopefully in the next six months we'll be approaching some sort of normality or be it a new normal but but so what's already on your to-do list and what's on your to-do list as a result of the of the pandemic yeah so wearing my different hats so from british esports point of view we're about to launch our next uh championships which is the 2021 so we run over the first two terms um as i said rocket league overwatch and league of legends league of legends yeah we've got over 300 i think or 350 schools participating in that it's like a an, uh, it's like a, a league tournament um, so we're going on that. The interesting thing will be is how many schools actually start in September physically. So we're just working out is are we allowing people to play from home? And then we've got to make sure that it's the right person playing for their school. So th there's a few uh, challenges we're going through, but we're kind of excited about creating a solution for that. From an education point of view, we're promoting our esports courses and those that have got a passion for esports, you know, what transferable skills can they learn? And reflect that in other aspects and you know there was some chats about six months ago about oh you do an esports degree you'll get a job in esports and what we're saying actually we would prefer to give people the skills to be entrepreneurial because there's a lot of 
fantastic people who work in esports but probably don't have the business skills or don't have the marketing skills or don't have the right skills so what we're trying to do in the uk and you know i'd say the uk government has been very positive about empowering people to take initiatives and be more entrepreneurial is that we're saying look, well actually if you've got a passion for something that's really important but actually if we can help you have the educational skills to then develop your own uh you know becoming your own boss you know we'll help you on that journey so i think you'll see a lot more coming out you know we've been mentoring a, one person in particular you know who's you know, created a team they've done incredibly well he's now going to create a online coaching business he's then going to um create a, a training academy um and he's just been learning these skills as he's going along but he's always had a passion for esports and he's, he's been within esports so yeah the next few months i think were very exciting all my team were working probably the hardest i've ever been during lockdown no one was furloughed it was just full on um we've got 10 full-time staff we've got an advisory board of 14 we've got 42 game advisors and 600 volunteers so i'd say the only negative is there's a lot of people that want to participate in esports activity and by not having live events you know that's kind of stopping that kind of enthusiasm because you can do a lot of stuff online with less people um, and then going into next year, it's going to be really interesting what the IOC does around esports activity at Tokyo. And then the Global Esports Federation are going to be having their Global Esports Games, which is going to be an international tournament at the end of next year. Um, and that's when, for the first time, there'll be some proper international tournaments where we'll be sending in uh, G you know, GB players playing different titles like League of Legends, representing our country rather than a pro team. So. Yeah, really exciting. We're very lucky that Tencent is our partner on that for the Global Esports Federation. So I think it's a kind of softly approach. The one negative I'd say that esports has over sports is its planning. That, you know, everyone knows when Wimbledon is, everyone knows when the year, well, except during COVID, uh, Euros. And I'd say that esports needs to get a bit more in its future planning so that brands can go, right, at least I know what does the strategy, you know, what's my activation going to look like for, 20, for 21 and 22? Well, I know these events are happening. Whereas at the moment, esports uh, live events are kind of planned quite last minute just because that's the nature of the industry that's been. So I think once more people from sports start working in esports, I think that planning uh we've resolved and then that will help brands you know with their budgeting and activation jester king thank you very much you can find sports content strategy on facebook twitter and instagram go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com.